This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. We're in this segment, a New Year theme titled Reset. This year, we're believing God to help us to reset some things in our lives. In our 21 days of prayer and fasting, that's what it's supposed to help us to do. It's supposed to help us to reset, reconfigure, realign, refocus in our spiritual um, appetite in the things of the Lord. Looking for the pathway of God so that we can feast on him because God desires to do a new thing in us, a new thing amongst us. But first, we must realign, rearrange some things, refocus our hearts and our allegiance. In our New Year's service, Pastor Tom spoke about um, the seed of God's word and work in our life, reminding us that our life has a call to a greater significance. He spoke about that in our New Year's uh, service. But there's a threat to that significance, um, greater significance. It's a threat to God's seed in our lives. Satan is trying to choke out and kill the seed of God in our lives. The world and its systems and its cares are trying to kill that seed. And we can't just go with the flow. We have to allow our roots to go deeper so that the seed can thrive, can grow, can progress. We have to be vigilant and fight for what God has begun in our lives. Our hearts are like a soil. It's like a soil. God plants the seed of his word in our hearts. But if the soil is not good, That seed is not going to be able to thrive. It will be unfruitful. We have to tend to and care the soil of our lives. We have to guard our hearts and the area of which our seed seed is sown. I want us to look at a particular familiar scripture. Um, it's, It's found in Matthew 13. If you want to turn in your Bibles or click in your devices over to Matthew 13. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start in verse 3. Um, so it's not going to be on the screen, verse 3. Um, but when I, I'm going to skip down and get to verse 18. And when I get to verse 18, that will be on the screen. And so I want to read this word to you. Do me a favor. Would you kindly stand for the reading of the word? If, you, if you're able to, would you kindly stand for the reading of God's word? Not only it reverence, reverence unto the Lord and his word, but it gets us awake as well. Verse 3, Jesus says... The word says, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Verse 5. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprung up. Since they had no depth of soil, verse 6, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and choked them out. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has an ear, let him hear. Verse 18, can we throw that up on the screen? Hear then the parable of the sower. Jesus' disciples went to him and said, hey, master, what does this mean? We do not understand. And Jesus began to explain to them, verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word 
and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, open our eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give our hearts revelation to perceive. Lord, we know that we are not saved because we love you. We are saved because you love us. So much that you gave your one and only begotten son for us. It is by the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God that someone can even come to God and ask for forgiveness to begin with. So we're so grateful for your love, Lord. If we haven't told you today, we love you, Lord, but only because you first loved us. And if you believe that church, can somebody say amen? Amen, amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. This parable appears in all of the synoptic gospels. I just read to you Matthew 13. It also appears in Mark 4, and it also appears in Luke 8. This is a simple parable, a story that would have been familiar to the crowd in Galilee. The Jewish nation was an agrarian nation. It was an agricultural nation. They, they were used to farming and shepherding and sheep and, and things like that. They, they were, had common knowledge of its systems. And oftentimes we find in the scripture that, we would, that the scripture will reference an occupation to drive home a point. A farmer would scatter the seeds, the scripture says, it would follow all over because they used their hands and not machines like we see today. As in all of Jesus' parable, he used an earthly story to um, convey a spiritual truth. However, the spiritual meaning and its implication was shielded from those that lacked understanding. They didn't want to understand. And it was reserved for those who desired knowledge, who desired understanding, not just to have information, but to have revelation so that they can apply it to their lives. The crowd that followed Jesus, though, they weren't in it for understanding. They followed Jesus because uh, they liked the thrill. They wanted to see a miracle, perhaps receive something, a healing, perhaps be fed. They were in it for what they can receive from Jesus. They were spectators, only there for a show. And Jesus did not allow them the explanation of the parable because they didn't want to understand. They were the ones that seeing they could not see hearing they could not hear. So Jesus explains this parable to his disciples because they listened with an intent to understand. Without the explanation of this parable, we will scratch our heads and be at marvel at why some people can come to church weekly, hear the word of God, perhaps even be raised in a biblical home and still not have fruit in their lives of the word of God that they hear. 
They will hear this word and after they leave and before they get to the parking lot, the word, the seed that has been planted in their lives will be uprooted and eaten away. Why? The issue isn't the, isn't the seed. The issue is not even the sower. The issue is the soil. Two people can be raised in the same household, hearing the same message, reading the same scriptures, and one, you see fruit in their lives, and the other, you do not see fruit in their lives. Why is that? The soil. There's an issue with the soil. So this, really and truly, this parable shouldn't be called the parable of the sower. It really should be called the parable of the soil. There are environments that the seed may be planted in that's hostile to the, to the growth and the development of that seed. Here's what Jesus said the four grounds mean. The ground called the path. This soil lacks understanding. That is, they have none. The path is a ground that has been walked on over and over again until the point it is compact into an ultra-hard surface. It now resembles concrete that is soil. The seed can't take root, so it just sits on the surface and a bird just comes by and pick it up. And this bird, Jesus says, is the enemy. How does a person get a hardened heart? Hebrews 3.13 says, sin's deceitfulness causes a person's heart to become hardened. Over time, sin will harden a person's heart. They love their sin and will not repent of it or cry out to God for help. This condition takes over their lives and chokes out the ability for them to understand or for them to grasp, to know. They remain ignorant of God's truths. Somebody hearing this today? They remain ignorant of God's truths. But there's another kind of ground, the rocky ground. The soil looks good on the surface, but hidden underneath a thin piece of soil is a, is a bedrock. It's all rocks. This person hears the word, receives the seed with joy. You almost see a plant springing up. They talk about the Lord. They even memorize scripture, but they even tell people about Jesus, but they came to Jesus on emotions. Somebody promised them that Jesus would give them something, a car, a house. They came to Jesus based on what they could get from him. And immediately when situations start happening in their lives or they begin to get pressed in or challenged for their faith or someone offends them, all of a sudden this person that you thought was growing in the faith, that you thought was coming to know the Lord, that you started seeing a sprout come up in their lives, they turn away from the Lord. Their faith couldn't withstand the sun-scorched heat because they had no roots. This is surface Christianity, shallow. They profess but lack fiery evidence, Jesus. They say all the right things, but they have no fruit in their lives. They easily fall away because of trials, tribulation, and offense. And we saw much of that in 2020. Then there's the thorny ground. This ground can be deceptive. It contained weeds and thorns and thistles, but it's all lying beneath the soil. So the thorns go undetected. The thorns are planted by the enemy. It chokes out the plant. This person is unfruitful because they have worldly concerns. Their heart is towards the world. Outward show, but no inward depth. 
This soil actually looks great to the eye, but what's beneath is a person who lack a full repentance in their heart. They want Christ and his kingdom, but they love the world. So they keep Christ in one hand and the world in the other. They are the ones that have one foot in, but one foot out. So they have a deep desire for the world and it's riches that it shows, it lures them in. This soil is the heart of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. Good teacher, what must I do to enter the kingdom? Give me a list. Jesus tells him six things. He said, check, 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 check. I got all that checked off. And then Jesus began to show him what was beneath the surface of the soil. He had weeds, he had a love for riches. He had a love for money. Mammon was his God. Jesus shows him his adulterous heart and that he was deceived by his riches. And that day he left Jesus because he loved his possessions. He went at what, 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 was, what he had instead of who was offering life to him. This soil is also Judas who sat with Jesus, broke bread with Jesus, shared the ministry with Jesus, lived with Jesus for years. But when it was time for him to choose, he chose 30 pieces of silver over Jesus. Things. The love of the work. Is somebody hearing this today? The love of the world choked him out. This soil is Demas, who Paul refers to in 2 Timothy, who abandoned Paul because of his love for the world. The soil speaks to those who want Christ, but have a tight grip on things. And then the fourth soil is a good ground, a soil that's fruitful and produces a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 fold. Here's what I want us to be careful of. We could sit in this service today and we could think, Stony soil, that's Aunt Betty. She got a stony soil. That heart rock, that's Uncle Johnny. Oh yeah, she got Uncle Johnny down pack. That, that's, that soil that has a top soil that looks good, but underneath is, is all sorts of rocks and all of that kind of stuff. We can start thinking of all these people that this belongs to. Here's the problem with that. We can decompartmentalize our lives so where we look good in one area, and we look like we're thriving in one area, in a whole other area, it's rocks. Remember the rich young ruler, looked good, six things I got checked except this one area. God wants every aspect of us. He wants not piece of our hearts, but all of our hearts. Not part of our soul, but our entire soul given unto him. We must steward the seed, protect the seed, and be attentive to the environment in which the seed is planted. Because the enemy of your soul wants your seed. He wants what's on the inside of you. He wants the plans and the purposes that God has for you. He wants to wreak havoc on the environment so that the seed cannot grow. Jesus. He, okay, I said I was gonna stay calm. Stay calm. He wants the soil of your heart to become fallow ground. Somebody say fallow ground. Fallow ground. They're gonna look at, show you what that looks like on the screen. A fallow ground, do y'all have that? Yeah. A fallow ground is an untended ground. This ground is compacted and hardened because of lack of use. It's trampled under feet. It becomes hard over time and impenetrable. It has been so neglected that only thing that can grow there is weeds and thorns. 
If our life becomes a fallow ground, we can run the danger of being spiritually separated from God. We may look like we're alive, but within we are dying because we're being cut off from the vine. And there's no nutrient, there's no sustenance for us to thrive and grow. When Israel had become hardened because they began to worship other gods, Yahweh called the people to do what? Break up the fallow ground. Toil the soil. Dig it up. Your heart has become hardened toward me. I'm no longer thriving. My presence is no longer thriving in your life. Here's what Hosea 10:12 says. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. Somebody say, seek the Lord. For it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. The prophet was saying to the children of Israel that what was once fertile has become impenetrable because it's like concrete, hard with weeds and thorns, a wasteland. But we can invite the divine vine dresser to come and help us to break up what looks like a wasteland. A hardened heart can be due to a crushing event that has happened in your life. I was trying to figure this out. God, what causes a person to have a hardened heart? If there's no major sin that may, they may have in their lives, what is it that causes a hardened heart outside of sin? Well, it could be a crushing event that has happened in our lives that we're not allowing God to heal. It can be ingratitude, ungratefulness, a lack of love for God, a neglect for the word, unbelief, lack of prayer, neglect of spiritual community like we have today, consuming love for possessions, vanity, caring more about your outward appearance than how you look on the inside before God, envy, you envy those who have more talents than you, gifts than you, God is using them more than you, bitterness, you're nursing a grudge or a bitter spirit towards someone. Slander and gossip. Talking to others about others behind their backs is gossip, by the way. Lying, deceiving, idols, could be sexual idols, addictions, occult. You're going to astrologers and witchcraft. All of this and more can be the reason for a hardened heart, but it's 2021. And all things must be reset in our life. Somebody say reset. Somebody say reset. It's 2021 and we have to reset some things in our lives. It's time for us to seek the Lord. And you may say, how long should we seek the Lord? Until he comes. We don't stop seeking the Lord. We keep on seeking the Lord. Maybe there's a plot of land in your life that has become hardened. Reset. Maybe there's some areas in your life that you've been holding on to and God has been dealing with you in those areas and he's been wanting you to release and surrender those areas to him. Reset. Maybe you're afraid and you're thinking this area could never be fruitful any longer. It's gone on for too long, Pastor Nadine. Reset. When you open up your heart, your heart, and you allow God to deal with the stumbling areas of your heart, he will come in and do a fruitful work of reset in your life and in my life. Amen. Isaiah 43, 19 says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Somebody say a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and in the rivers in the desert. 
will never experience a reset in God until we deal with what have allowed the soils of our, of our lives to become hardened or have thorny um, um, thorns coming up or tweed, weeds growing in those areas. We have to allow God to deal with those areas of our lives. The hindrance to a reset, divided loyalties. God can't reset our lives if we have divided loyalties. What's a divided loyalty? It's a compromise. A compromising commitment to two opposing parties or systems. As believers, we're called to be in the world, but not of it. Too many followers of Christ have compromised their soil. You can't ask God for divine favor while simultaneously making decisions that goes against his revealed will for your life. That's a contradictory request. You cannot serve God while having other masters in your life. We, cannot, we, we may not have wooden images in our lives, I get that. We may not have a statue in our homes that we're bowing down to, but we have other idols in our lives. We choose politics over God, culture over God, class over God, gender over God, possessions over God, entertainment over God, and so much more. We keep making all these choices over God, and we wonder why our world is in chaos, why our church is in chaos, why our homes is in chaos, because we keep choosing idols over God. Somebody say reset. We have to reset our allegiance and our alignment off of things and on to God. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. For personal application, let's substitute the word wealth. You cannot serve God in popular opinion. You cannot serve God in people pleasing. You cannot serve God in dishonesty. You cannot serve God in immorality. You cannot serve God in pride. You cannot serve God in worldliness. You cannot serve God in bitterness. You cannot serve God and serve yourself. It's either God is all or he's not God over your life at all. In Jesus' name, amen. These are divided loyalties and God is saying, make me Lord of all or I'm not Lord at all in your life. The spiritual problem of a divided loyalty it produces unusable and unproductive fallow ground. James teaches us what a divided loyalty looks like. James 1 5 through 8 says this if you need wisdom ask generous generous God and he will give it to you he will not rebuke you or for, or for asking verse 6 but when you ask be sure that your faith is in God alone do not waver for a person with a divided loyalty is as unsettled as the wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything that they do. Why? They're double-minded. They're here and there, up and down. A divided loyalty believes the lies of Satan. Satan lies, even to the people of God. And we take the bait. There are many lies that Satan gives us that we take, but here's two big ones. One big lie is God is good, but he's not enough. Psalm 107.9 contradicts that. 
He says, for he satisfies the longing of our soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things in glory in Christ Jesus. That's why in the midst of a famine, a Shunammite woman can put God first and be able to have vessels of resources for her and her sons for the rest of their lives. What do you mean he's not enough? He is more than enough. The second lie is God provides, but so does the world. Whew. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God, somebody say my God, will supply all. I you know what all means um, in Greek? All, praise the Lord. Somebody has some Greek people in here. Every need of yours he will supply according to his riches. You know what I love about Psalm 23? When you talk about provision of God, he said, I set a table before you in the presence of my enemies. He didn't say I set a seat. He didn't say I set a plate. He didn't even say I set two plates. He said, I set a table before you in the presence of your enemies. What do you mean? The world? Can the world set a table before me in the presence of mine enemies? But if I believe these lies, I'm going to push away all that God is trying to fill me, thinking that I can find ultimate fulfillment in the world and what the world offers. The world promises many things and fulfills nothing. Our God is a promise keeper. Whatever he said he's going to do, he's going to do. His promises are yes and amen to the glory of the Father. And I'm not getting loud. Hallelujah. We can't have any idols in our lives. We have to reset also an undivided loyalty. Reset an undivided loyalty. The definition of that is a faithful commitment to God and his plans for your life. Matthew 20, 20 verse, Matthew 22, verse 37 said, and he said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the great and first commandment. God wants all of our affections on him toward him with all of our beings, with all of our might, with all of our strength, with everything within me. But we keep taking the bait that the world will provide. And God is saying, I'm your portion. I'm your cup. I keep pouring until your cup runs over. It spills out. There's a plethora, not just for you, but for those that are around you. But we keep biting the bait. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, Jesus says, and all his righteousness and all these things that you're after, as long as it's biblical, according to his truth, will be added unto you. When we put him first, he takes care of the rest. He is the I am. He is your fill in the blank. What you need, he is. We seek him in his righteousness and everything else he adds. It's time for us to reset, amen. It's time for us to reset our loyalty. We do this, how? How do I reset my loyalty? I have to make Jesus first. Jesus has to be enthroned in my life. Not that something else is next to him. He said, have no other God before me or beside me. I, I want first position in your life, Nadine. 
before your husband, before your kids, before your ministry, before your church. I want, Jesus is saying, first position. Somebody say first position. Make Jesus first. Seek the Lord, Isaiah 55, 6 says, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. James says it to us in chapter 4, verse 8, this way. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James is telling us, stop being double-minded. Stop flip-flopping. Some days you love the Lord, some days you're caught up in the world, and the Lord is not on your radar. It's time to reset and make Jesus first, okay? How do I do that? Is he first in your time? Do you pray and read the word? Is he first in your thoughts? Are you casting your cares upon him? Do you forgive because he also forgave you? Do you release an offense quickly because his thoughts dominate your mind? Is he first in the use of your gifts and your talents? Is he first in your worship? Is he first in your relationships, dating and friendships? Is he first in your marriage, in your family? Is he first in your finances? Are you a generous giver? Do you rob God by withholding the tithe? Is he first in your finances? Are you stewarding your finances? Is he first, church? He says, seek ye first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness, by the way. And all these things shall be added unto us. So we reset my loyalty, number one, by making Jesus first. And secondly, I have to toil the soil. How do I reset my loyalty? Make Jesus first then I gotta toil the soil. Seasons of reset requires an examination of the soil of my heart. Remember, it's not Uncle Johnny's heart. It's not Grandma Betty's heart. It's my heart. The seed is good, but if the growing environment of the soil is bad, that seed cannot grow. Lamentations 3.40 says, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. We have to ask ourselves, what's the motives behind the things that I do? Why am I making these decisions? Are there any weeds in my life that is a result of sin? Examine means to play close attention. Why do we need to examine? The heart cannot be fully trusted. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or wicked. Who can know it? When we till the soil, God will show us what's hidden on the inside. What's underneath the surface? My motives are exposed. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way, grievous way in me, and lead me on the path of everlasting. We tool the soil by looking to God and his word. We tool the soil in prayer, personal reflection, conviction, heeding to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Is there something in me that I'm ignoring that God has been desiring for me to surrender and yield to him? We must toil the soil. So to reset my loyalty, I have to make Jesus first. I have to toil the soil. And thirdly, I gotta remove the weeds. I gotta get the weeds out. The weeds are found in maybe my unhealthy patterns, how I think, my lifestyle choices, things that I'm doing in my life is causing, is causing it to be a bed, an environment that's conducive for weeds to grow. 
To remove a weed, you have to grab it up near its root. You can't just pop off the top and are thinking I'm fine. No, you gotta dig down deep. Pull it up by the roots. If you pull it up by the top, it's gonna grow back rapidly. It's gonna grow back like a wildfire in fury. This is like true spiritual life. The weeds are sins. If you try to remove it apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, you're gonna find greater temptation in your life. And all these stuff starts arising that you thought that you dealt with, but because you didn't deal with it through the power of Christ and his spirit on the inside of you, it keeps coming back with a vengeance. Matter of fact, when you try to deal with it outside of the Holy Spirit, that's religion. You look like you've you got it all together on the outside, but there's no spiritual transformation on the inside. You're dead man walking, dead woman walking. You look like a white tomb on the outside. You look like a washed tomb on the outside, but in man is inside is skeleton bones. God is calling us to reset that, to dig it up. Take your sin to God by repentance and let him help you remove the weeds in your life. Psalm 32 verse 5 says, I acknowledge my sin to you and you did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. After you take the sin to God and he forgives you, you got to starve it. Starve it out of your life. Paul says it like this in Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I got to stop feeding the weed. Starve it out. Kill what is intended to kill me. I got to kill it first. So to reset my loyalty, make Jesus first, toil the soil, remove the weeds, and now I gotta plant the seeds. Now that the soil is free from weed, it's time for me now to go in and plant, sow seeds. Seeds of righteousness, God's word in my life. Not just one single event, and not just on Sundays either, but every day, make him my daily bread. What I partake of every day. God gives us his word to sow into our lives. These 21 days of reset, this 21 days of prayer and fasting is helping you to, to cultivate the environment, the soil, so that the seed can go down and take root and bear much fruit. We have 21 days of prayer and fasting. We have 21 devotionals for you online. We have daily message of hope devotions for you at 12 noon, Monday through Friday. We have weekly nights of prayer. You can't say that the soil here it's not right for you to grow for your seed to take root but are you participating you see you remember they, they used to say to me back in the day you can take the horse to the water but you can't make them we can provide everything the eastern western civilization they're looking like okay well what's happening what's happening in America you know, United States, we have translations of the Bible everywhere. We got about five in our cars. Got one under the, under the pillow. You, you know you got one under the pillow. You got it on the dashboard. You got it at the Atlanta. You got it everywhere. What's sad is that it's just sitting on the shelf, but it's not getting into my heart. The seed got to get inside of me, church. 
it got to get inside of you. 2021, we're doing a holy reset of God's word being sown into my life. Somebody got to believe that I'm going to become a student of the word of God for 2021 and beyond. I'm going to sit and participate in God's truths for my life. Why? Because I want to grow. And I don't want the enemy robbing me of the seed of God for my life. I'm taking back all things into my hands so that I can grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Hosea 10, 12 says, sow your for yourselves righteousness and reap steadfast love. Isaiah 61, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes that what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. But the fruit of the Spirit is what's the result of a person's life that has righteous seeds being planted on the inside of them. When the environment is right and the soil is right and the seed gets down deep, the result on the other side of that seed is the fruit of the Spirit. So if you're wondering, okay, I don't know if I'm actually growing. I don't know if I'm actually having um, results of the right seed in my life. I don't know if my, if my soil is right. I well, you should be able to see this fruit in our lives, right? Galatians 5 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Righteous seed equals fruit. Unrighteous seed equals death. We want righteous seeds being planted in our lives. So how do I know what kind of seed I'm planted? Look at the fruit. If I plant sexual temptation, I get sexual immorality. If I plant offense, I get angry. Listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Are they pure? Are they holy? Are they just? Are they righteous? Are they of a good report? Are they excellent and praiseworthy? Pay attention to the way you handle challenges, frustrations, thoughts, patterns, attitudes. These will tell you what kind of seed you've been planted in lately. All right, so make Jesus first, toil the soil, remove the weeds, plant the right seed, and then finally tend the garden. You know, after the enemy leaves a house and it's clean, you know what the scripture says, right? He comes back with a vengeance. If he finds that house clean and you just still have it, no furniture, you don't have anything to replace what you got rid of, he's coming back and he's taking over. We have to not just clear the garden and have the garden looking healthy and growing and right and all of that. We have to tend to it. I gotta make sure that there's fertilizer. I gotta make sure that the weeds don't come back. I gotta make sure that I'm continuously planting healthy seed in my life. We have to maintain and guard our heart, which is the soil, CLC. Psalm 119.9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to his word, your word. Set up fences, set up boundaries, have accountability, consistency in God. Water the ground with the word of God. Keep it fertilized, stay in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Don't quench him. Listen to his correction. Keep the predators out. There are some people we just got to cut off. They're not conducive for my growth. They're not conducive. They may have served where I used to be, but I'm no longer
longer that person anymore. I want to grow in the things of God. I want to see his power on the inside of my life. I want to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. And if you are detrimental from my spiritual growth, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Because I'm trying to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. And you're not good for my mental health. And you're not good for my spiritual health. We have to guard it. There's an enemy that wants you to compromise. He wants to get through the gates. He wants you to crack a door and give him a foothold in your life. You know how we could give him a foothold? Just being complacent. You wean on your prayer life. You start watching TV more than you used to. You just become vegged out in front of that TV. And all of a sudden, the things that you find that you're no longer tending to the garden, you become complacent. And when we become complacent, the enemy can sneak in and plant weeds, thorns in our lives. Proverbs 4.20 says this. We're closing, I promise. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life, the issues of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Has the enemy lured you down a path you have no business being on? You know, wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life, and few find it. Why? They want the road of ease. They want the road, I want to do whatever I want to do, how I want to do it. I don't want to give any accountability to God, but they want God to bless them. Ponder the ways of your feet, then all your ways be, will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Out of your heart comes the issues of life. That is the soil, and we must guard it. The results of tending to the garden is life to those who find them and healing for our flesh. The team can come. Church, we have to have an undivided loyalty to Jesus Christ. A loyalty that belongs to him and only him. We must break up our fallow ground. We must search the, toils, the, the soils of our heart to see, has the enemy planted weeds inside of my heart? Am I bitter, judgmental, foot of criticism? Do I see the glass half empty all the time? I mean, do we have nothing to give God thanks for? Is everything in life so bad that we cannot think of one last thing that the God, that we can say, God, you're good. And your mercy endures forever. We have to be able to reset to an undivided loyalty to say, no God, but Jehovah God. No Lord, but the Lord our God. No Jesus, but the Christ, the anointed one, the Holy One of Israel. We have to be able to say, Lord, I choose you. When no one goes with me, I choose you. When I'm the only one in the house serving you, I choose you. When no one will pray with me, when no one wants to come out to prayer nights with me, Lord, I choose you. Why? Because you first chose me. And so my life is yours. It is in your hands. All that I am.
close to you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live for you. When no one is with me, I'm going to follow you. When no one supports me, I'm going to bend my knees, not to the idols of this world, but to Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. He's my Lord. He's my master. He's my refuge. He's my fortress. And beside him, there is no other God. In Jesus' name. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.